Welcome to the Conversions Podcast, where we discuss conversion rate optimization and the latest tips, technologies, and actionable strategies that you can actually use to get more of your website's visitors to take action. And now, your host, Francis Teo. Today we have with us JP. JP is an experienced e-commerce entrepreneur and the co-owner of the Talk Condoms Canada e-commerce shop. He is also the owner of Pro Teeth Guard, an e-commerce shop that sells professionally made custom dental night guards for teeth grinding. JP is currently based in Shenzhen, China, where he is sourcing his next killer product for his online e-commerce business. Welcome to the podcast, JP. Thanks for having me. So, tell us a bit about how you got into the e-commerce business. Okay, sure. Um, the year was 2008, I believe, and... Uh, it was a high school friend and I, we both graduated from university and had full-time jobs at big companies, but we both knew that we wanted to start a business. And we had all of these crazy ideas, just some of them were very, very complex, two-sided business models with a chicken and an egg problem. And like, so we, we finally took, took a list down of all the ideas and we said, look, we're not going to quit our jobs right away to start a business. So why don't we pick something that's simple and doable and we can get started right away? So after going through the list, um, an online condom store actually seemed the most viable option because, I mean, condoms are small and light and easy to ship. So it's uh, it makes sense to sell them online and also uh, they'd be easy to store and um, the in initial investment required wasn't too high. So we were like, uh, maybe this, ne this will never take off and maybe this will never be a successful business, but we can give it a shot. Worst case scenario, if we buy all of this inventory and we can't sell it, uh, we did a calculation and we basically, they expire in a couple of years. Basically, we'd each have to go out and use like six condoms a day for the next four years. And that was the worst case scenario. So like, okay, that's not too bad. So let's get started. And uh, that's how we started. We originally started on um, a self-hosted platform, OS Commerce back in the day. And uh, after a while, we moved on to uh, software as a service e-commerce platform, which is big commerce. So did you have any conversions right out of the gate when you started with OS Commerce? Yeah, we actually, um, I guess we, we're lucky in that, I mean, we didn't know any specific uh, numbers or targets we should shoot for, but right out of the gate, um, we did have a pretty healthy conversion rate. Um, so, you know, the average online store is something like one or 2%. We're actually above that. I think it's because our customers were a lot more motivated because they're already, most of our traffic was from organic search and since they were already searching for condoms online. And at the time, we were serving specifically the Canadian market and there weren't a lot of good options. So when they found our site, they were pretty motivated to buy, even though our initial store, I mean, it was not conversion optimized by any means. Um, the whole design was something we slapped together. I think I went into Photoshop and made a logo, which I haven't done since then. And God, I should never do again. <laughs> but. Yeah, we, we got the, a very basic site up and we were able to get conversions from the get-go. Would you say that it's harder to get conversions these days? Speaking from specific experience, let's just take the 
I like to keep the specifics, keep, keep the condom store as an example, right? There, since we've started in 2008, there have been maybe like five or six new stores that popped up in Canada. So in terms of competition and the number of options that consumers have available to them, uh, it's definitely increased. And I think that just means more competition and you have to be more competitive in order to get that sale. So I would say, yeah, in that sense, yes, it, it, it is getting more and more uh, difficult in terms of getting that consumer to click buy on your specific store. Is that just because of the consumer being more knowledgeable now or is it more might be due to competition? I think it's a combination, right? Um, as more competition becomes available and as the different competitors offer up different things, the consumers are able to you know, look at the different offerings and be- become more informed and become more selective. Yeah, that's really interesting because I've talked to some clients in the past and those who have been in business for seven to eight years, in back in those days, apparently they just stepped up a page on their website and ran some AdWords or back then Yahoo traffic and they would just get a sale on a very ugly and not well thought out page. But these days you really, you really need to put in some effort in order to get conversions. Yep. So what are some of the strategies you've used in the past to try to increase conversions on your e-commerce sites? Okay, the first thing we did after we sort of proved out the business model and that, hey, people are willing to buy condoms online and there's a good number of them, was we did a whole professional redesign of the website and moved it onto um, a newer platform. So that did two things. So the first thing is with, you know, a professional logo and colors and all of that, it gave the site more credibility. And I think as soon as some customer lands on your page, they can see, okay, this looks like a legitimate website. Uh, The second thing is based on the new platform, um, they had their own sort of optimized uh, checkout flow. So, you know, they had the one page checkout with the accordion expanding sections and things like that. So we were able to leverage that right away. And as a result, uh, the increase in conversions was around 2%. So not 2% relative increase. It was like a actual 2% increase in conversions. So it was pretty significant. Um, yeah, so that's the first thing we did for conversion optimization. When you did the move from OS Commerce to Big Commerce, did you do any split testing to try to test the changes before you rolled it out fully live? No, we weren't. Uh, I just don't think we were sophisticated enough to do that. Um, Actually, even now, I'm not sure how you would do it with a completely new platform uh, versus a self-hosted platform, right? Because you would have to do a domain redirect. Um, Is there a way to do that, actually? Technically, there is a way to do that. You can just redirect each and every individual page to the corresponding page on a new platform. However, it's really technically difficult and it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, so we weren't that sophisticated back then and we knew that um, it was going to be a big step up anyway um, in terms of the design. So we didn't bother 
like it, it wasn't a question of oh if it performs better we're gonna move over it was pretty much like we were sure it was gonna perform better and there were some other considerations as well just the platform that we were using before OS Commerce is just really old and uh, very just unuser friendly even on the back end so we needed to move anyhow so were you worried at all that the conversions would drop after you moved? No, I mean, the first site was so bad that any change would have been an improvement. So we were pretty sure that it was going to go up. There was only one direction it could go. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, but from a lot of e-commerce merchants, they are looking to switch platforms these days with all the, I would say, the big three hosted platforms, Shopify, BigCommerce and Volusion being reasonably well-structured. If they want to change platforms, they might be more worried when, when they move over to the new platform whether this will affect conversions. And like we just discussed, there isn't really any good way to do any split testing. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've read case studies that when they switched over to a completely new design, they had a significant drop in conversions and also revenue. So that would be something people should look into and consider before changing to a new platform or a new design. Even if it's not possible to do split testing, I would recommend doing a bit of usability testing. There are websites like usertesting.com where you can hire people to do some usability testing on your site. Well, if people don't know what usability testing is, it's getting someone to go through your site as a customer and experiencing the site and seeing where they have problems. For example, checking out something doesn't work or they, are, they get confused at some point in the checkout process. Even if you don't want to invest any money in external usability testing, it's the simple way to do it is just to get your friends to go through the site and try to buy something and get their feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely something... Uh, store owners should be doing. What are some of the other strategies you've used to increase your conversions on your condom site? Okay, we actually went through a conversion optimization exercise recently with Top Condoms Canada, and we achieved a pretty positive result. We had a over 50% increase in the number of checkouts and an over 60% relative increase in revenue. The way we did that was a, we highlighted the key offerings we had up front. So we highlighted the free shipping, the discrete shipping, and also the 60 days, you know, no questions, 100% satisfaction ref refund policy. And those were some of the things that, you know, based on our interactions with customers, we knew that those were important to them. And also throughout the checkout process, uh, we also had reminded the customer that when they were checking out, hey, it is uh, 60 days, uh, you have a 60 day satisfaction guaranteed refund policy and also you receive free shipping and discreet shipping. So throughout the checkout process, we were sort of nudging them along with these offerings as an encouragement. Um, so overall, that produced uh, pretty good results. Uh, I mean, we also always had these policies, but they weren't as visually obvious to the shopper. So I think by really making them obvious, I mean, if you're going to go through the trouble of offering all of these great 
uh, services like free shipping and you know a great refund policy, you should really be publicizing that better to the customer so that you can get the conversion benefit from it. So after this conversion optimization exercise, do you would you say that the increase in conversions have been sustained? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a sustained increase versus our previous, and it. I mean, it makes sense uh, looking back at it. It's just that by having such clear value propositions presented in front of the customer and along each step of the checkout, that they would be more likely to buy. And I think um, it almost seems obvious looking back at it, but I think, yeah, a lot of e-commerce store owners, you know, are busy with so many other things like uh, products and fulfillment and uh, customer service and all of that, that they're not really putting the time and effort into this conversion optimization exercise. And it's something that we actually put off ourselves for a long time. And I think that's a mistake because it's really just leaving money on the table. I remember taking a look at the split test results and being quite shocked at the relative increase in conversions, mainly because this is a commoditized product. So I did not expect such a high increase in conversions, actually. So this is something that other e-commerce shop owners should actually learn, that even though your product might be a commoditized product, or you might not think that a conversion optimization exercise might increase your sales and revenue, you should give it a shot because you might be really leaving money on the table. Even if it's a commoditized product, I would say that it's possible to beat your competitors by having a better guarantee or a better customer support. And in markets such as for web hosting, a lot of the big players compete on customer service even though it's truly a commoditized product. One server is usually just as good as another. So I would recommend people look at other, at some other angles where you can market and your product better plus provide better customer service. Yep. For example, for the other store, the Dental Night Guard store, um, we actually offer a 110% money back guarantee as a differentiator and we highlight that as well. So basically, if after going through the whole process, because, I mean, it's it's pretty, um, I mean, it's not super complicated, but it involves some effort, right? They have to get an impression kit shipped to their house and they have to take their own teeth impressions. So our way of thinking is, hey, if you go through this whole process and you are not happy with the product, you've invested some time and effort into it as well, then we want to compensate you for that. Not just give you 100% of your money back, and, but another 10% for you, know, you taking your impressions and shipping back, the, um, shipping back the night guard that you're unhappy with. So uh, we really go above and beyond for the customer to really incentivize them uh, to buy and also remove the risk for them. That's really interesting because with all, nearly all the clients I work with, they offer a very strong money-back guarantee. And I found that this kind of guarantee really reduces the fear and the anxiety of the customer when purchasing and hence increase conversions. So I would always try to recommend some sort of guarantee in order to reduce the fear in, for these customers. Yeah, and I think 
I think a lot of e-commerce store owners may be worried that people would take advantage of the guarantee, right? But I think 99.9% of people are not, I mean, they're not bad people. They just want to buy a product to solve a problem. In fact, I think for the condom store, I don't even remember when the last return was. I mean, it, it rarely, if ever, happens. So you can't be worried about that 0.1% of the bad, maybe bad customers and not offer the guarantee. Because if you don't offer the guarantee, right, maybe, you know, it's like a 50% difference in terms of your conversions. And you're just losing a whole lot of money because you're optimizing your store basically for the one bad person out of thousands of people. So you have not encountered any problems with offering this guarantee policy and people abusing it? No, we haven't had any issues like that yet. I would expect that this would be a problem or rather a bigger problem in some for some of your websites like your mouth or your dental night guards site because it's a custom night guard. There's even if the customer returns it and you I believe you offer 100 110% guarantee, is that right? Yeah. So there's nothing you can do with it when the customer returns it right because it's a custom night guard you can't resell it you can't you can't melt it or, or whatnot <laughs> yeah we we actually take a big loss if that happens but you have not encountered any problems with that either uh no i mean we've had i think one or two customers over the whole history of the store that have returned it and they were legitimately just i mean they were even for them, they said, you know, the quality was good maybe, but it was just like the fit wasn't quite right or, um, yeah, they, they weren't able to use it for whatever reason. And we were happy to give them um, the money back. Yeah. Okay. That's my experience working with clients as well. Um, they don't really have any problems offering the guarantee and the return rate is usually very, very low as long as they have a quality product. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges you have encountered when trying to convert e-commerce website traffic into sales? Okay, I think one of the challenges is you really have to know the language of your customer. And for the condom store, it wasn't an issue because I was an ideal you know, target customer. And I sort of knew the main concerns and uh, pains and whatever of those shopping. But I'll take the the dental night guard as an example for that store I mean I don't grind my teeth at night and I've never worn one of these things so it's actually pretty difficult for me um, to really understand what the customer's perspective is and that I think that was apparent when I wrote the copy and everything for the first time on the website but since then, I've really put time and effort into understanding the customer. So for each customer that we ship a custom night guard to, we give them a call and get some feedback from them on you know how the process was. What were some of their concerns when ordering? Is you know um, how did they know that they needed a night guard and things like that? Um, and then in addition, I went over to you know all of the online stores and read customer reviews on Amazon and on different other sites in order to get the exact language of the customer. And I actually had a spreadsheet out and took a tally of their key concerns. So by doing this, I was able to really uh, boil down 
the key value propositions that we can present up front that would align well with the customers uh, and what they had in mind. So having this extra um, step in really going out and understanding your customer, I mean, it is challenging because uh, ideally it would be great if I were a target customer and I can just write everything sort of from the customer's perspective. But when you can't do that, um, you really have to put in extra time and effort uh, in order to really speak on a level that the customer that the customer really resonates with. Do you believe in having the traditional market research kind of work? I know you you mentioned that you went out to Amazon and the review sites, and after you got the site up and running, you went to talk to you talk to customers as well to find out what they liked about the product, what they did not like about the product. Do you believe in the traditional marketing research kind of work where you go have like focus groups and you do market surveys, that kind of thing? I th- I just think that's really, I mean, for me, it's not relevant because I think that's very difficult to do as a small business. So you really have to be smart about how you do market research or I'd say like it's more like customer development, right? Like or customer understanding your customer, customer research. Yeah. Yeah, that's the view I have on it as well because with focus groups or market surveys, sometimes the customer or the potential prospect that you have identified to do these focus groups and the market surveys, they aren't really motivated and they're not part... I mean, they might be part of your target demographic, but they might not buy from you, so their opinion does not really count. Compared to when you have an actual customer son who has paid you good money for your product and they will be honest with the, their feedback because there's no reason to lie. Yep, yeah. And I think a lot of customers are happy to give feedback as well. Um, you just have to ask for it. That's what we found. Do you incentivize your customers to give feedback? In terms of, do you give them a free gift or whatnot for giving feedback? Yeah, we give them either um, a code for a discount on their next purchase or some sort of store credit to encourage a repeat purchase. Do you think this skews the results? Um, results in, in terms of encouraging people to purchase? Oh, sorry, encourage, do you mean results in terms of getting people to purchase again or in terms of getting more people to give feedback? I mean that, do you think giving a, a discount or a free gift to encourage people to give feedback results in feedback that's not honest? Um, I don't, actually, I don't know because we haven't split tested it. Um, I don't think it makes people give dishonest feedback. Actually, for our condom website, it's interesting. So the way we get a feedback is we send them to a to a form and it's not that they have to fill it out to get the discount code. We actually give them the discount code up front. We said, hey, thanks for clicking on the give feedback form. Here's the discount code. You can go and use it without giving us feedback. But here's the feedback form and we'd really love to hear from you. And actually, um, I haven't tracked the metrics, but a good number of people do fill out the form. We get, we get you know, alerts every day for people who filled out the form. And I think that's a really interesting tactic. I mean, 
I read a little bit about psychology and things like that. It's the re- reciprocity idea, right? Once you give people something, they want to reciprocate in some way. So by giving them a, something up front and leaving it to their own free will to see whether or not they'd like to fill out the form, it's a little bit different than, hey, you have to fill out this whole form with all of these required fields in order to get this one thing. So how do you actually choose which customers get to fill up the feedback form? How do you solicit the feedback? Is it an automated kind of email going out? Right, it's an automated uh, follow-up email. I think usually around two weeks after they purchase. So in other words, you don't really choose which customers to give to get feedback from? No, we don't. Do you have any strategies where you reach out to your top customers and find out why they are purchasing so much, for example? (laughs) Uh, I think that's probably a pretty personal question. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, especially for condoms. (laughs) Well, I mean, even for your mouth guards or night guards business. no, we don't. We don't have. Yeah, we don't have selective. I guess feedback, um, in in our system yet. No. Okay, that's something I really recommend to a lot of my clients when we do conversion optimization for them. So, I mean, most people when they come in contact with conversion optimization, they think it's just split testing, but when I do work as part of my agency work for clients, we actually take a holistic approach. So split testing is the really the core part of what we do. However, there's stuff like customer development, lifecycle, email marketing, even a bit of retargeting. Something that is a lot of clients are asking for is identifying the lifetime value of a customer through from the first time this person clicks through from an ad to your landing page and maybe they opt into some mailing list and you marketed them from there and up to the point where they purchase and repurchase there's this question asked by a lot of clients they really want to find out what what's, what's the lifetime value of all the customers plus who are their top customers and what can they do to help them more. Sorry, so okay, yeah, you mentioned uh, retargeting as part of uh, conversion optimization. That's actually something that we haven't implemented yet, but we're looking into implement, um, looking into implementing. And uh, yeah, we, we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. So one of the issues is there are all of these different retargeting platforms out there um, like Retargeter, AdRoll, um, I, I think Google has one too, right? What would you recommend for some an e-commerce store that is just getting started in retargeting? Um, which platform should we consider and what are the key differentiators? When you say just getting started, that means you don't really have that much traffic yet, right? Well, no, let's say we have um, just organic or existing traffic to the store and we want to use retargeting to capture some value there. Say we have like a couple of thousands or say 10,000 or 5,000 visits a month. Okay, so there are a large number of retargeting networks actually. And for most part, I would say that they are brokering traffic from different, different traffic exchanges. Before we get too deep into it, I would say that there are a few kinds of retargeting. The most common kind these days is 
site retargeting. Or if you're using the Google network, they call it remarketing. So what this does is when a visitor visits your website, you place a, a retargeting pixel on your website and a cookie is dropped on the, their browser. So you will be able to target banner ads to target these customers who have visited your website in future by showing relevant banner ads to them. So there are a few popular networks like the Google network. And like I said before, Google calls this remarketing and not retargeting. It's just a, it's the same thing. It's just how they, how they name it. There are other networks. My favorite is actually using SiteScout RTB, which is actually a, they are real-time bidding demand site platform. This means that they aggregate many banner networks into one and you can just buy the ads from one interface. I like them because they have good targeting capabilities. You're able to drill down to which sites to target and to do some optimizations from there. Beyond that, they have pretty good customer support and their minimum, I believe, deposit is about 500 US dollars and there's no minimums every month. If you have a small site, you, there's no fixed cost that you have to spend each month. So in terms of some other networks that might be suitable for sites just starting out and don't have a massive amount of traffic would be a site like AdRoll. The thing with AdRoll is they have restrictions on the kind of traffic you can run on it. That means if you have certain kinds of sites, they might not accept your, they might not accept you as a customer. There are also more managed platforms like Retargeter where you pay a fixed amount and they do a bit of management for you. So if you want a really hands-off approach, that might be the way to go. If you don't, you're not really interested in optimizing the campaign yourself. You just want someone to help you with that. So a managed platform like Retargeter would help you. The key point about all these start networks is no matter what network you want to go with, whether you want to go with the Google solution or the SiteScout solution or AdRoll or some other platform out there, most of them don't require you to put any money up front in order to drop the retargeting pixel. So what I do when I run campaigns for clients is even if they have no traffic, I drop the pixel anyway. So that when the site is built up to a point where we have a couple of thousand visitors a month, we are ready to retarget the traffic and market them over and over again. Interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a good idea. Um, I should get right on that and drop a retargeting pixel into my online stores. Where do you see conversion optimization in your overall e-commerce strategy over the next 12 months? I think the challenge for small e-commerce stores is that uh, it takes it takes a significant amount of effort to do it scientifically, right? To have all of the metrics and all of the tools and all the code injected. For the stores that I'm running specifically, I think we're going to have to do it in spurts. So for the condom store, I don't think we're going to continually test just because we don't have the resources um, to, to do that. Maybe after we get to a certain, a certain level, then we can, we can use some of our time and effort to do another set of optimizations. Um, it's just a, a challenge that, unfortunately, uh, small stores face. And uh, for 
I think for bigger stores, it would make sense to continuously test, right? To always have some sort of A-B test going on. And, and obviously, you're not just testing for the sake of testing. You have some ideas or hypotheses of, about what may improve or you know position your store better for your customers, and you can test those. But for us right now, um, it's not... Yeah, we'd love to continuously test, but unfortunately, um, I don't think in terms of time and effort or money, it's something that we're going to be able to do um, right now. Um, I mean, it's not going to be continuous conversion optimization, right? It's going to be maybe in six months, we take one or two months to do it. And then, uh, yeah, and then we, we would let it sit. It's interesting that you bring out the point about having scientific testing and having a strategy to your overall testing. I mean, if it's, it's a good point you made about not having enough resources to test. First of all, many people underestimate the amount of resources you take to do split testing, at least the proper way. When I say proper, I would say the scientific way, where you really take care to have a control and a variation and make sure that there's no biases that might affect the data so there might be some monitoring and ongoing monitoring that, that needs to be done and that's actually quite resource intensive so that's the reason why many people go to an agency to do the split testing on the point of having to have a strategy behind the testing that is a really good point because a lot of site owners because of the ease of use of the split testing tools these days like Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer. They just test for the sake of testing. So they test whether the green button is better or the blue button is better or the red button is better. And that's all fine, except that when you test the blue button, there has to be a strategy and, a, and an end in mind. Maybe the red button stands out more from the design, therefore it will increase the click-through rate. That kind of hypothesis is important in order to start the test rather than test random stuff, which uh, seems to be getting quite popular these days because of the, the tools are getting easier to use, but I totally don't recommend that you should just test random stuff. Begin with the end in mind, that's what I advocate. I understand you have a new podcast about doing business in China. Tell me more about this new podcast. Sure, yeah. So... Um, the idea is to have an on-the-ground sort of from-the-front-lines view with experienced entrepreneurs and business people doing business in China. So a lot of the stuff you listen or see and hear is a little bit removed um, from the on-the-ground view uh, and it's sort of like the 10,000-foot view. And we really want to hear the actual stories uh, and the details of how business gets done in China and share that with people. I mean, frankly, I think a lot of people are interested in um, how to approach and uh, do business in what is currently the second largest economy in the world, but I imagine will in inevitably become the largest economy in the world. So the podcast is here to present that um, sort of first person on the ground view. So where can people find out more about you or get in touch with you? Okay, one way is to connect with me on Twitter, and that's at Jingpingji, J-I-N-G-P-I-N-G-J-I. And another way is if you go to chinabusinesscast.com, 
there's a keep us updated uh, email form. If you fill that out, um, I'll send you an email. So thanks for your time today. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Francis. Thank you for listening to the Convergence Podcast. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes if you enjoy our podcast. We love hearing from you. Connect with us at our website, conversionspodcast.com, and let us know what you think.